Good morning and welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Knockham Siegel Network, KnockhamSiegel.com, and on the NSN app. And I'm pleased to welcome to the show for the very first time Ruven Borkhardt, the New York News Editor for Habodia, the only daily newspaper in the Orthodox community, a voice of Torah Judaism, and uh, closely covering right now politics here in New York, the rough and tumble of the mayoral race coming up in 2021. Ruvain, welcome to Spin Class. Hi, Michael. Thanks so much for having me. So, Ruvain, you've had the opportunity now to see a couple of candidates up close. Uh, there's a lot of candidates running for mayor. You've seen some of them from not so close, from afar. Uh, you've had the in-depth interviews. Some of your interviews even got tagged by the New York Times, believe it or not. Not that we can really say New York Times to the firm community because we're supposed to boycott the New York Times. But, 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 uh, what is going on in the race uh, right now vis-a-vis uh, -vis the Orthodox community? I, I, I just, by the sheer volume of of outreach that I see going on, it seems as if the Orthodox community is a hot commodity in the Democratic primary in 2021 in New York City. Yeah, uh, I think that the people who uh, have the most support in the Orthodox community are also the ones leading the general polls. Right now, the polls all show Yang uh, clear number one, Andrew Yang, uh, Eric Adams uh, clear number two, and everyone else behind them. And uh, from the people that I speak to in the community, um, it, it seems that those really are the ones that have the most support. Uh, Yang recently released some internal polling that they did, uh, breaking down that they said they have really strong support in Borough Park. It definitely seems that right now those two are the ones having the support in the Orthodox community. There are some other candidates that right now are not doing well in the polls, low single digits, like Catherine Garcia and Ray McGuire, who people feel have views that might be really in line with many Orthodox Jews' views. And many people could see themselves maybe voting for them uh, second or third with the ranked choice voting. But uh, right now, they're not viewed as having a real chance at winning. And uh, from the more... Uh, from the candidates that are believed to, to be leading the pack, we're talking about uh, Adams, Yang, Scott Stringer, and possibly Maya Wiley. Uh, it, it seems that Yang and Adams um, are leading not only the general polls, but the Orthodox community. So let's talk about the issues, right? You sit down with these candidates, you're sitting around the table, and you're saying, okay, here, you're speaking to Hamodia, we are the voice of Orthodox of Torah Judaism. What are the issues that you want to lay on the table that you want to talk about? I'm talking about for the members of the audience who haven't read your articles. If you haven't, you definitely should. But if you want to get acquainted with the candidates. But you sit down there. Some of them have various levels of familiarity with, with the Orthodox community. I hope that they come in well prepared. Maybe they don't. So tell us what happens. Yeah. So, again, you mentioned the articles. If anybody wants to read them in full, the in-depth interviews I have with Scott Stringer, Eric Adams, Andrew Yang, and Catherine Garcia – uh, those four thus far, you can just go to Hamadia.com at any time and just uh, enter the name of the candidate and the interview should come up. Uh, as far as the particular issues, for the Orthodox voters right now, uh, Yeshiva is seems to be by far and away the number one. Uh, this is, of course, just, you know, this is, this is everything to the Jewish voter, to the Jewish parent, uh, being able to educate the child in the way that they feel is best. So on, on that issue, it would seem that of the major candidates, Again, Yang, Adams, Stringer. Um, Yang has taken the most 
unambiguously pro-yeshiva position. Absolutely. He says, um, in fact, he said to me uh, that um, when he was first told about yeshiva issues, his question was, what are the outcomes? How are people doing? And then when I was presented with data suggesting the outcomes are the same or better, meaning that the, that the uh, yeshiva students have the same or better outcomes than public school students, he said, why do people seem to have an issue around the way that these children are being educated? And he said, when it, you know, when it comes to enforcement, he's going to be pursuing the top priorities, which are trying to improve people's lives and get us back open. So for him, it's he, he's definitely taken the most pro-yeshiva position. Stringer has taken a more middle-of-the-road position, not really committing to anything. Uh, when he was asked by me and uh, others as well, he, he, he speaks generally about how He's Jewish and his and, and his children are, uh, got some Jewish education as well. And he says uh, it's important to have secular learning and Jewish education. And he wants to work with the community in a responsible way to meet the needs of the community. And, you know, when I when I really try to ask him about enforcement, he said, we're not barnstorming into yeshivas. We're going to work with the education leader of the yeshiva. Well, that's nice so, to hear. I'm so happy that they're not, you know, going to burst in the door and knock it down with police. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It seems it seems that uh, Stringer's trying to sort of play a middle ground not really committed to one side or another when it comes to eric adams it really depends which eric adams you get uh the interview that adams did with me <laughs> yeah um when in the interview that he did with me adams said we, we, we discussed yeshivas a lot and one thing he said was we have to create one standard and give all of our institutions the support they need to meet those standards uh, and get a clear understanding of why they believe there should be different methods. Now, that create one standard line caused a lot of concern in the Jewish community. And um, he did also speak about um, fighting to make sure that yeshivas had their voices heard and give them the support. So it wasn't it wasn't that only line. Um, people in social media often like to take, you know, one line and make that the article. I, I, I make that the issue. I really try to, um, in my articles, present the full discussion to the extent possible. Um, but he definitely got some blowback and he had actually told the forward a pretty similar response. They put out a questionnaire and he said that he would work with, with the community. He, he has spoken about appointing local ambassadors to yeshivas, but he said, and this is a quote from the, from the, from his questionnaire in the forward, he would quote, clearly communicate expectations and baseline standards according to state education law, as well as enforce compliance where necessary, unquote. So that tracked, in largely what he told uh, what he told me Charlie Cloudy what he told the forward there was blowback and um in fact the Adams campaign realized even before the article was published that um he had that the community would not receive this well i think one thing that adams learned and that um other candidates uh, one way or another will learn is that the yeshiva issue uh particularly for the Haredi community, the yeshiva issue is not just one of a number of issues where, okay, if I like you on nine out of 10 issues or four out of five issues, that's fine. For many people, this is the be all and end all, and they will never think of supporting a candidate who doesn't unambiguously come out in favor of yeshiva independence. Right. So um, just, to subsequently, clarify, yeah, just yeah, to clarify yeah. for a second, when we're talking about the yeshiva issue and the independence issue, what essentially yeah. we're talking about is the substantial equivalency, the idea that, and it was, that was proposed in Albany and elsewhere in this report, we're, we're really talking about the idea that the that this city and possibly even the state should intervene in the education of private schools, specifically right. yeshivas and parochial schools. And really, after the report that this organization called the Afed did, 
try and go ahead and uh, close even certain schools and perhaps even arrest parents for not sending their kids to those schools. I mean, really extreme measures that we're talking about. And this is something that has been percolating for several years now. And clearly this is the first race after this issue came to the fore that it's really going to come and it's become, for some reason, I'd love for you to get your take on this. This has become like the, the a, a real cause for progressives, like particularly progressive Jews. A lot of them have seen, oh, they 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 care so much about the poor kids of the Haredi community who are undereducated and can't read and write. It's it's a shanda. <laughs> well, uh, I'm reminded of something Kalman Yeager, Councilman Kalman Yeager, said in an interview with me. Uh, he once said something about how many of these same progressives who profess to care about the children's education, um, they're the same ones refusing to give uh, security funding for private schools. Um, but uh, yeah, well, let's put it this way. The substantial equivalency law has been on the books for a century, but there was no exact guideline for what is termed substantial equivalency. In theory, if the state had gotten a complaint about a particular school, it could be investigated, but it wasn't that they would set the actual guidelines. In recent years, as you say, after uh, groups like Yafed um, complain, the state has tried to actually create guidelines. Um, the first set of guidelines, uh, basically what the guidelines that they put out were um, an exact number of hours per week that exact particular subjects have to be taught. Um, and the yeshivas would be overseen by the local school authority, which in New York City is the, the school's chancellor appointed by the mayor. Um, a judge first threw out those guidelines because the state hadn't gone through the proper rulemaking procedure, um, which requires, you know, a vote by the Board of Regents and then a 60-day public comment period. Um, then they put out the guidelines with the proper rules, um, and they got 140,000 comments, about 135,000 opposing, a uh, vast majority from yeshiva parents. Um, and then they said, we got to go back and talk to stakeholders. We're going to, and this was pushed off because of COVID, but eventually they had some Zoom meetings with stakeholders um, in December. Now they're going to formulate new guidelines. We don't know what they are. They will be formulated by the Board of Regents, but as I said, the enforcement would be up to the city. And that's where it comes in, sure. where the state would make the rules, but the enforcement agency um, has, has wide discretion in, in what they Right. Enforce. So people have to realize, and, the voters have to realize the mayor of New York City is the person who will essentially be setting the agenda when it comes to this issue. Right. And in fact, Eric Adams sees on this point when I when I pressed him about the enforcement, uh, he tried saying that he, he doesn't really have a choice because uh, if the state makes him do that, uh, he says that the state would take away uh, education funding. And he went on to say he thinks it's a disservice to the complexity of these questions by thinking that it's a yes or no answer. Like I said, he got a lot of blowback. He later on gave an interview to Bar Park 24 where he walked it back and he said, uh, you know, children have a right to receive the best education and not all communities and not all parents take the same approach. And he went and visited right. He went and visited Yeshiva, right. right. And he talked about yep. that he was – right. Now, let me ask you do, you, do you think like they're surprised in a sense some of these candidates by – the question or 
by the insistence on our community to have independence on this issue. I mean, the way I look at it is if I'm a private school parent, I'm a yeshiva parent, and I'm paying mega bucks. I'm paying a lot of money for my kid to go. And obviously, this is a choice. This is my heritage. This is my religion. This is my my culture. And we respect everybody's culture, of course, in a multicultural society, although our community seems to always uh, kind of lose out on that. But that's a separate, that's a separate show. Uh, I'm paying for that. Sure, go ahead. As for the multiculturalism uh, and losing out, um, some would argue, and many elected officials have argued, that our community was – we had special red zones and orange sure. zones and yellow zones. But now when the city says that they're going to give vaccine priority to the hardest hit communities, we're, we're, our community is nowhere yeah. on that list. Okay. Yes. But no, I no, no, it's it's all. It seems to be there. Seems to be a pattern here. So what I'm saying is, do I? I, I would expect, so, especially a guy like Eric Adams, and not to knock a pick on him. I actually would expect it from Scott Stringer as well. Both of them have been around the firm community for a long time. They've got long histories. They know, or at least they profess to know, what the issues are in the firm community, and like, and it just seems, and I don't want to. I don't want to put words in your mouth. I'll put in kind of the words of the New York Times as far as Scott Stringer, you know, that he really botched his interview with uh, with Hamodia, or at least he became very testy. I'll let you characterize that. But Eric Adams, even stuff, a guy who really has some very prominent Hamish guys around him who are very well versed in this. They just I, I, maybe they just don't understand to the degree in which that we have such a priority on this issue. I mean, that this is a real, I don't want to put your heart value over, but this is really the red line when it comes to the firm community. Yeah, uh, well, so with Adams, um, definitely he, it seems to me that he was not, it seems obvious to me that he didn't understand how important an issue it is to the community. Um, and uh, his people must have told him that um, because, because he does seem to have really walked it back. With Stringer, now, I could be wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't believe he has on his campaign any firm Jews. I know that he has, you know, he has maybe outside PR firms consulting with, but a, a full-time staffer liaison to the Jewish community, Jewish outreach director from person. I wow. don't believe Stringer has. Correct me, no, correct I could, me if I'm I mean, wrong. I, 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 I don't know. I've, I haven't looked at the I, campaign staff. That's, see, that's amazing when you think about it because, I mean, I'll put, a, be polit- put my political hat on. You're running – for mayor of New York City, the firm community is such an important constituency. In fact, we're probably, and I can let you confirm this, we're probably a more important constituency in this year's primary than, because of ranked choice voting and other issues, than we've ever been before. And to not have somebody on staff in your campaign it, you know, who is knowledgeable of the firm community and who could talk and do outreach for you, that just seems to be political malpractice. But that's my own commentary. Um. Well, you referenced uh, that the Times mentioned my interview with Stringer. The the the, the place where he got tested. Right, it wasn't and, about uh, the schools. I, I I admit that. It was right, right. It was not about the. It was, it, was it, it start it started with the endorsements, really. Um, so, uh, for those who haven't really been following, Stringer is someone who's been seen for years as just a traditional moderate Democrat. He took money from the real estate industry in the past. Starting in around 2018, once the Democratic Socialists of America started their ascendancy, he's viewed by many as having moved far to the left. And now he's not taking any real estate money, and he has endorsed some 
far left candidates. And one in particular really, really angered the Jewish community, Tiffany Caban over sure. the Cats. Uh, that I was the Queens district attorney race uh, of last year. Right. Which, which after a recount, Cats uh, won by 55 votes. Uh, and uh, she was running on a platform of severely reducing incarceration. Katz was a traditional uh, uh, Democrat. Um, Jewish community leaders in Queens told me that Caban made no outreach to them. Um, this was a time of rising anti-Semitic attacks. They did not feel confident that she was going to aggressively prosecute them. They were really furious at Stringer uh, over this endorsement. And, and I asked him about it. Um, I will just point out there was a perception for a while that he was trying to avoid the Jewish media. Um, I first had an interview scheduled with him and he, uh, he pushed it off for at the last minute. They said that there were a lot of mayoral forums, which was true, but the other candidates had mayoral forums also. Um, he ended up doing rescheduling it for like a month later or something. There was a perception that he knew he had a problem with the Jewish community. He was trying to avoid the media. I don't know if that's true, but he really did not want to address the endorsement directly. And he, just tried saying, uh, Ed Koch said, you know, you agree with me nine out of 12 times. <laughs> you're uh, right, right. Then, if you agree 100% of the time, you're, you, you'll, you'll go see a psychiatrist. See a exactly. Psychiatrist, right? one, of the great, one of the great political lines. When I tried pressing him, can you explain exactly why uh, you thought apparently better than cats? Uh, he completely did not want to answer that. I said, I've answered this a million times. He said, I'm not relitigating the, the district attorney's race. That race was so long ago. Come on. Any other questions you have? I mean, 2019 said the race was so long right. ago. Uh, Stringer had. So long ago way. because it was pre-COVID. That's what he's saying. It was just. I can't remember. Oh, it, well, he had touted. <laughs> he had touted uh, his 30 years okay, experience. Okay, I get it. So, right. So it seems that he wants to talk about that, but not this. Uh, and then I had asked him. Uh, he also, Elliot Engel. Right. Uh, was a long sure. time as well. of the Foreign Relations he Committee. Endorsed, uh, you know, if, if, sure, that moderate right. Democrat in, in Riverdale. Right. And he endorsed, he endorsed Jamal Bowman, um, who, you know, he, Jamal Bowman had written the Riverdale Press that he'll fight for the Palestinian liberation. Um, he endorsed Julius Salazar. Right. Also. Jamal Bowman so, recently so criticized Israel for not, for not vaccinating Palestinians. That, the, that Israel, even though, we, as we all know, the Palestine, Palestinian Authority would not accept vaccine from Israel. But that's a side. You know, yeah, he, since he, Jamal Bowman, walked that back. But that's the kind of person that uh, that he endorsed. But sorry. Please go ahead. I want to ruin your momentum. Yeah, no. So. No, but no, that's fine. I was just saying that, um, yeah, he definitely has had uh, uh, had to answer and he hasn't really answered. The Jewish community about why he made these endorsements. He called, he, um, once I asked he him said about to Salazar, you, just just for the record, he's not pro. He's right. not pro BDS, even though Salazar is. He has said that he disagrees with her on that point, uh, and he says, you know, you don't agree with someone on every single point just because you endorse them. But uh, it, it seems that the Jewish community uh, really is upset. From everyone I've spoken to, is really upset at Stringer. And when I invited him for an interview and I wanted to discuss the issues. Uh, you know, you can read the interview and decide for yourself, but it felt like instead of really wanting to explain why he did something, he grew angry. And I don't know if he's written off the Orthodox community. I mean, it doesn't seem like it'll be a smart uh, 
polit- uh, politics to do that, but he didn't really seem to be coming there uh, with an attempt to explain himself. It was sort of like just trying to. So he wasn't he wasn't writing off, um, but he wasn't so, courting either. Um, if I don't know if you can if you can consider courting, you know, snapping at a reporter, you know, that was so long ago. Any other questions? Did you he want tell to you? That? Did he tell you um, that you were treating him like the Inquisition? Oh yeah, that because was that's one shot. of my favorite lines so, that I have heard in recent political memory. Um, of course, invoking the Inquisition in you know a nice Q and A is really has some uh, very uh, interesting historical overtones. So the Inquisition comment was actually in regard to a question I asked him about his tweet about Al Sharpton. Um, in 2019, on Al Sharpton's 65th birthday, uh, Stringer um, tweeted. Thank you for your many years of service to our city and our country, and I'm proud to call you a friend. Now, Al Sharpton, like it or not, has sort of just become someone that every Democrat has to go visit now. And uh, almost every presidential candidate, mayoral candidate goes to the National Action Network. I know that there are people in Crown Heights and in the Jewish community and elsewhere who can't stomach that. Um I asked Stringer about it. I did not ask the other candidates about, let's see, why they went when the National Action Network, for example, had a you know event against Asian hate crimes. This is something that's become so sort of mainstream Democratic Party. I didn't, you know, to ask every single candidate the same question, whatever. With Stringer, I asked him because of that tweet. The wording of that tweet about the many years of service to the city and the country, I'm proud to call you a friend. I know that that caused consternation in the Jewish community. Um, he replied, uh, I've known him for 30 years and I work with people in all communities. So I started saying, well, what do you think of his past comments? And I started quoting his comments like, you know, at the funeral of Gavin Cato, right? That was the black child who had tragically been killed in the Crown Heights, which led to the he had been killed accidentally by a Jewish driver. And that led to the Crown Heights riot uh, at that funeral. Sharpton had railed against it. diamond merchants with the blood of innocent babies on their hands and I started trying to say, what do you think of these comments? And at this point, Stringer just got really upset. He said, I'm not answering these questions. I'm not doing this. This is not an inquisition. He called his spokesperson to come in on the conversation. um, And at that point, uh, you know, the spokesperson said, well, these comments were made in, in, you know, 30 years ago. Long time ago. Long time ago. Yeah. Long time ago uh, just for the record, to my knowledge, um, Sharpton never really apologized for this. He has yeah. said some things over the years to the extent that, oh, maybe he used wrong wording here or somebody once criticized him for that and maybe he shouldn't have used that word here. To give a full-blown apology, saying, like, I am sorry that I incited anti-Semitic deadly riots. I mean, we're talking about Crown Heights. We're talking about Freddie's Fashion Mart, whatever. He's never given that. Um, and then Stringer says, uh, you've got to be kidding me, you know, as far as like asking questions about comments from years ago. Uh, a moment earlier, when I asked him uh, about his comments to Sharpton, he had said, oh, well, that he um, he's known him for 30 years. So which is it? Are you proud to know him for 30 years or is it dumb to ask questions about what he said 30 years ago? Uh, <laughs> well, anyway, and then he's uh, like, all right, well, then, I, well, well, I've answered the question. So do you have any other questions? Again, uh, you know. I'm not uh, well, he, he, advisor. He couldn't wait to leave questions. Right. He couldn't wait to leave the room. Uh, let, let's talk about Catherine Garcia. That's the one that we haven't yeah. gotten to. That's the one. So. Right. So, so with Catherine Garcia, uh, it's interesting. I mean, she's not polling very well. She's polling right now 
in the former sanitation commissioner. She's well known as to a lot of insiders. I would say uh, people, you know, people who know city government, they know her. They know her as a very competent uh, operator. People, somebody who understands the workings. Uh, actually, believe it or not, ma- managing sanitation is a complex job. Yep. So uh, in the streets is a thing. Is a complex job. Yeah, it's one of those things that people don't really think about much until it doesn't happen, right? Right. And and by and by the way, of course, the sanitation department not only the trash but the snow, of right. course. Um, now, so with Garcia, she's a pretty moderate Democrat. Um, she she's polling pretty low right now. Um, many Jews that I've spoken to have said that they really think that she would make a good mayor. Um, they may not want to cast their first vote for her because, you know, they don't, based on the polls right now, they don't think she has a real chance. But I've spoken to quite a few people who say that they could definitely see themselves voting for her two or three. Um, as far as yeshivas, uh, you know, getting back to the issue of enforcement or whatever, when I asked her about yeshivas, she had said to me, I'm not seeking to extend my jurisdiction beyond the public school. But then when I asked her, you know, but what if the state does mandate it? Now enforcement's up to you, she says to me. Quote, we would have to follow the law, unquote. So she seemed from that to be indicating that she's that she's not going to be looking to, you know, to to, to investigate the yeshivas. But unlike Yang, she didn't really seem to say that she's going to go out of her way not to. Um, you know, Maya Wiley actually uh, had given a comment to the forward about which. Now, which now you really, haven't interviewed Maya Wiley yet. Just uh, I have not interviewed yet. I have uh, reached out to them a couple of times, and they have not replied. And um, if they want to, I'm more than happy to interview her. So Maya um, Wiley viewed Maya, as uh, somebody certainly on the progressive side of. Uh, certainly, yes. Maya Wiley, a former counsel to Mayor De Blasio, right. Um, she had told the forward, this is a quote, that she would, quote, ensure that investigations into schools that communities have identified as a concern are prioritized. So she was, she really seemed to be interested in, in you know, taking the off line here um, on, on, on yeshivas. Um, again, with her being such a progressive, I don't really see her getting much support in the uh, Orthodox community. Another interesting candidate is Ray McGuire, who I actually have an interview scheduled uh, with him in a couple of weeks. So if you follow Reed Hamadia, readhamadia.com, you'll see it. Uh, he is someone who's also, like Garcia, I can say, um, viewed as pretty moderate. And many Jews I've spoken to said that, you know, they really think he might make a good mayor. Although right now, again, he's polling in the single digits. He's not viewed as someone with a real chance. But you could very easily see uh, Jews voting for him if he goes up in the polls, or even if he doesn't, maybe being uh, a second or third choice candidate on the ranked choice voting, which, which of course, changes the whole equation this year. Well, there's there is I the whole ranked choice voting thing. Everybody's got to get forty percent. Uh, if nobody if nobody gets forty percent, they take the bottom people out. There's a lot of candidates in there. Fifty percent. Okay, so they so and if you know it, it's really it's really could be a 
incredibly wild ride. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe it's 50. I think it used to be that you needed 40 to avoid a runoff, but now you got to get 50. We, we, can, we, can, um, we can check that. Can, yeah. It's either 40 yeah, or 50. Yeah. I know it's 50 for the council races. It might be 40 for the mayoral race, but uh, Is it? either way, well, we're going to... We're going to find out, but right, probably right now, not now. But either way, nobody's right, right now yeah. looks like they're going to get to either number. By the way, this just shows you nobody knows about ranked Well, that's about. true. And a lot of people, I'm that's sure, are going to get to the polls and not even vote for the ranked choice. They're just going to go with the one because they really, really they like their candidate. So we'll see, we'll see what people happens. People have to know that if you only vote for one candidate, your vote may end up being worthless. That is true, depending um, on who you vote for. I mean, that's no question. Of, or or not as valuable as it could be, right? Eight, yeah. eight. Uh, this, this will require people to check into many candidates right um yeah i can tell you as a reporter that i feel that with ranked choice voting more candidates stick around because they feel they'll have a chance to get in you know second or third round well i think Um, i think that's the case i think there's a lot more engagement right now particularly for our community because of the ranked choice voting and i think that that so actually it's my last question for you as we run out of time ruvain are you seeing level of engagement from the people from the people in politics in the may roll race uh, is it more than you've seen in the past i'm sorry do you mean in from community the from, the the commu- from the voters yeah what do you oh, get- there's 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 a very very deep interest in politics right now we have had uh we're coming off a situ- uh, a, 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 uh we're coming off a, a time not so long ago when our schools were shut our yeshivas were shut our whole way of life was and was was really put on hold uh, many viewed it as the community being targeted unfairly. Um, uh, we, we referenced just uh, briefly how the community was said that there was such a big outbreak and they had to shut down. And now when they're giving vaccine priority to the hardest hit neighborhoods, they're not giving it to this community. I think that people are very, very engaged, very interested. Like I said, the yeshiva issue is something that wasn't an issue till a few years ago. This is our whole way of life. And um, you're talking about there's so much there's, there's there's business there right now in the democratic primary where again that's really where everything's won and lost for many people being pro-business is a dirty word sure um i i, I recently interviewed a, a candidate for brooklyn borough president um cornegie uh who's a city councilman and one of the few democrats that are considered to be pro-business and he was actually railing against how in his party you know uh being pro-business is such a dirty word but many people feel that they want to leave New York. People are leaving New yep, York. Yep, that's crazy. So, okay, that's going to be I, the last I, word, Ruve. We are out of time here on Spin Class. Yes, there's definitely a lot of engagement in the community. No question about Thank it. Thank you. Okay, here on Spin Class, here on the Nachum Single Network. Stay tuned for Jew of the City Speaks, South St. Joseph's. See you next week. Thank you for joining us.